Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah everybody and welcome home. For the past few years we've always started our programs with this statement and we mean it because community is a place that we all should call home. A place that gives us peace, a place that gives us tranquility and a place that we know is going to be there. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes faith in the Quran, He mentions stability as being a requirement for faith to grow. Asluha thabit wa far'uha sama That its roots are firm and its branches grow to the sky. If we don't have stability, if we don't have permanence, if we don't know that something is going to be there for us, then our faith won't be able to grow. This is why when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and made the migration, the hijrah with his companions, at that moment, when they arrived at their new permanent home, he said the beautiful phrase, Afshus salam, spread peace. Why? Because peace can be attained now that we have a place that we can call home. For the past five years, Roots has been able to be a part of so many people's lives, alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah. And we're so honored to have that be a part of our legacy. But we've been doing it in temporary spaces. We've been doing it in hotel banquet halls, in masjid side rooms, in people's living rooms at home, and in temporary lease spaces where when we were signing the lease, we knew that this was not going to be there forever. But that can change. By the favor of Allah, with our foundational organization, Qalam, we've been able to find this beautiful property here in Carrollton, Texas that will be the permanent location and facility for the Roots Community Space. A place where everybody can feel that tranquility and have that growth of faith that Allah Ta'ala tells us about. We need your help to close on this property. We need you to generously donate and contribute whatever you can, adding your name to this list of people that will help build and construct a permanent home for us to build the model community following the example of the Prophet Muhammad in Medina. Help us make this dream a reality. Visit rootsdfw.org slash home. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Let me turn up a little bit. Just it. How's everybody? Alhamdulillah. All right, just a couple uh, housekeeping um, points. First and foremost, you guys can see that, you know, hopefully week by week you come in, you see the, the building, alhamdulillah, is coming along a little bit. Inshallah, the goal is that by Ramadan, which is hopefully probably April 1st or 2nd, I think. Uh, I think those are the two dates that they're saying could be. Um, the masjid part, inshallah, will be open. Uh, Roots will probably be open somewhere in the middle of the month of Ramadan with all the different pieces that we're waiting for. So I appreciate and I just want to thank everybody for your patience as you're like, navigating through like hanging ethernet cables and like our thermostat is hanging from the ceiling you know we just don't have very much uh, you know we don't have m much of a we have a low we have a low threshold here for or a very high i should say threshold for what's okay just because again you know if you remember the past few years like trying to find a space was very difficult so at least now this is a place to call home it's not much but it's ours alhamdulillah so it'll be you know they updated the lights you can tell over here they're nice and bright uh, the brothers have to sit in the darkness, <laughs> or, or like you have to sit in the. That's like lights in the Middle East and Pakistan, right? <laughs> Everything was cold, and then this is just like lights, you know, the yellow. So that's number one. Just you know, be mindful. I would recommend, as your brother and somebody who loves you, not to use the bathrooms. Uh, <laughs> I would just absolutely, without a doubt, like if it's only in case of emergency only, would I recommend using the bathroom? And even then, I would just you know make your dua before you enter against that Allah protect you against all the evil that's in that place there's actual dua right yeah so you make that but 
might be more uh, apparent in these bathrooms. So they're just, again, because they're being renovated. So these guys, you know, mashallah, these construction workers, they're like, the teams here, they're just so used to just like moving along, right? They just keep going, they keep crushing this. So they're not used to trying to maintain a space that is uh, inhabitable at the same time is a, is a workplace. Like they're not used to that. So they've been very gracious, honestly, uh, with us. So may Allah ta'ala bless them, inshallah. Um, the other thing is that you see over there, you see the two individuals handing pizza, Batul and Haitham, mashallah. They ran on Saturday and Sunday, no, just Sunday, for a combined amount of 45 miles, mashallah. Batul did a half marathon, and Haitham did an ultra marathon, which is 31 miles, mashallah. So uh, I don't know how many miles he gets per gallon, but that was really good. <laughs> So I just want to say, mashallah, you know, the, the accomplishment of the, the Run DMRC group, the Dallas Muslim Running Club, is phenomenal. Um, you know, there was a brother, actually Ariel, he's like one of the founders of the group. Uh, a few years back at Roots, he would show up to class and he would say, I'm just going to run a mile today. He goes, my goal is to run a mile every day. Because he's like, I, I don't run. I'm going to run a mile every day. And he ran 31 miles. He did the ultra marathon on Sunday. So in three years, he went from being like one a day to then he ran 31. He ran the, the amount he would run in one month, he ran that in one day on Sunday. So it shows you, you know, when the person puts their mind to something, subhanAllah, it's incredible. But what I also want to add to that is that they're still here serving you pizza. So this is why you make dua for people because you have no idea. You know how they say be kind to everybody because you don't know what kind of battles they're fighting? So like, I guarantee you their feet are hurting, everything's hurting, but may Allah bless them. Make dua for them. That Allah give them the best in this life and the next life. Amen, Ya Rab. And I know there's people here as well that also ran. Uh, yeah, mashallah. Yeah, there you go, all right? So uh, so she ran, mashallah, as well. Five, 10K or 5K? 10K. 10K, there you go, mashallah, right? May Allah give you 10K for that 10K, inshallah. I mean, <laughs> so it's cool. If you want, check it out. It's on Saturday mornings, mashallah. They do great stuff, alhamdulillah. Um, and if you want to like get into the running, uh, you know, the, the running club and, and kind of discover whether or not you can or can't, you will be able to find someone to keep you company there, inshallah. Okay, uh, let's get started, inshallah. So last week, we, uh, we, we began our journey into the descriptions of the hypocrites or the description of, I could say hypocrisy, like the different signs of hypocrisy. And we actually kind of, um, we stopped at the first sign and it wasn't necessarily intentional, but we did. And it's good because I feel like in order for us to process the, the gear shift, we talked about the believers, those people of taqwa, they had a certain description, which was very short and to the point. The rejectors, they had the kuffar, they had a description which is very short and to the point. And then you have the description of the hypocrites, which is a very long uh, description taking up many ayat. And so naturally, the mind wonders, you know, why would Allah Ta'ala spend a short amount of ayat on this and that, but then very long? And we talked a little bit about how that's because it is the section and the category that is most, uh, that people are most vulnerable to, right? Hypocrisy is actually something that every Muslim should feel in their heart of hearts that they are not safe from, Okay. The, 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 the word that is the triliteral root for nifaq, for hypocrisy, nafaqa, actually refers to, the Arabs used to use this word to refer to the different, uh, there was like a desert mouse that would dig a hole, it would burrow a hole, and it would come up from two sides. And that's how it would escape from enemies. 
So what it would do is like if it was being chased, like this mouse is being chased by a snake, it would like dive into the hole and it would go through the hole that it burrowed and it would come out the other side. And so the, obviously the Arabic language has beautiful layers. And so when, when the term was coined for a hypocrite, right, munafiq, the one who burrows themselves into the hole and comes out the other side, it talks about people that essentially are able to mask their true selves, even to the point where like where they actually are and appear magically out of nowhere, uh, you know, away from harm or completely innocent from what they're being uh, alleged to have done. And so hypocrisy is something that we should be very careful of. Now, the, the term hypocrite is not one that we use lightly. It's not like English. You know, the English language, the word hypocrite is a very casual term. Oh my God, I'm such a hypocrite, right? If like somebody who is telling people not to eat, like, you know, not to eat like cake is like having dessert. Like, oh my God, I'm being such a hypocrite. The word hypocrite in the Islamic tradition is a very serious accusation. It's not somebody who doesn't do what they tell people to do. Because that's everybody. Like, we all know the right things to do. And we all, if somebody says to us, and this is a problem. Anyone here ever have a problem describing Islam to, like, coworkers, people who are maybe not Muslim, because you're not the perfect example? Anybody have that issue? They're like, oh, like, do you guys pray? How many times a day? You're like, should we or do we? Like... <laughs> We should pray five times a day, but like maybe I pray less than that. And so there's a cognitive dissonance that we experience when we're describing the ideal Muslim practice, the ideal Muslim devotion versus the things that we struggle with, okay? That's not nifaq. Nifaq, as defined by scholars like Ibn Taymiyyah and others, is he said, and it was beautiful, nifaq is when a person hates truth and loves like falsehood, loves evil. Right? They hate the truth. So these people that were munafiqeen in Medina, even though they had names like Abdullah and they would pray in the masjid with the believers, they would celebrate when things went wrong and they would find their chest constricted when things were going well. Their visceral response, right, was to celebrate when things were going bad. And not only that, but to be a part of that experience, to try to make things worse in a way that didn't appear to be too obvious. And when things were going well, they would be the ones that would, you know, be the naysayers. They would be the ones that would say, well, it's not going that well. They're like, oh, it's clearly not as good as we think it is. We don't have to get too happy about this, okay? So understand that the English word for hypocrite is not an exact translation. Nevertheless, we should be concerned to not be people that say that things that we don't do. When Allah is asking the people, why do you say that which you don't do? It is a sign of hypocrisy. So we shouldn't be comfortable with that. Now, here's the, the, the million dollar question. Well, how do I answer a question if somebody asks me and I'm not perfect? Well, you acknowledge your imperfection and you answer the question based on what is right while acknowledging that you are working on it, right? So if somebody says, oh, are Muslims supposed to do this or do Muslims do this? The answer is, yeah, right, we do. I. I'm not perfect, I'm working on it, but we do, this is what the Muslim faith teaches us. This is what our tradition teaches us. So let's go through some more of these signs, inshallah. Again, the reason for knowing these signs is not to become the person that like proclaims it upon people, right? I want everyone to leave here having friends. So we don't just go and say like, hey, I think you're a hypocrite or I think you have hypocrisy, All right? That's for like a very, and, and people who do this, by the way, we laugh, we chuckle, but there are people who like their life on the internet is this, right? And it's like very dangerous, man, subhanAllah, like, Imam Ghazali has entire books that he writes talking about like, don't be the person that goes. The Prophet said, Bashiru wala tunafiru, yasiru wala tu'asiru. Like, 
give good news. Don't be a person that goes and just takes your cannon of rhetorical hate and just hits everybody with it, right? We want to be an ummah that brings people closer to Allah through our good character, not through accusations, right? Be inviters, don't be indicters, as Imam Sahib once said. So, bars. So, <laughs> the, first, the first sign we covered with what? وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُوا آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ وَبِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَمَا هُمْ بِمُؤْمِنِينَ That there are people that actually make this claim, but Allah says they're not. They say that we're believers, but they're not believers. Again, it rattles us, because everyone here is like, well, I do say that I'm a believer, but Allah is saying that not everyone who says they're a believer is a believer. So everyone who says they're a believer should be a little bit concerned. What's the first sign? يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَمَا يَخْدِعُونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسَهُمْ وَمَا يَشْعَرُونَ That these people, they think in their life that they're able to like pull a quick one, right? Get away with stuff when it comes to Allah, that they're deceiving Allah. But in reality, they're deceiving themselves. And the worst part about it is that they have no idea that they're being deceived. Okay? So, and these things, again, they're not as, as massive and obvious as we think they are. It could be a person like consistently lies uh, when they're being asked for, uh, uh, you know, an honest answer, right? That is a deception that a person, for some reason, why does a person keep lying to the point where it's almost pathological is because they don't think that on the day of judgment they're ever going to have to answer for that. When lying is one of the clear signs, the Prophet Sallallahu said, uh, he said, salas. The sign of the hypocrite is three. When they speak, they lie. And this is something that, again, we've become so accustomed to lying, even in very, what we consider, what we consider to be inconsequential ways. But it's not good. Anyone here ever bragged at how good you are at lying? I'm really happy no one's raising their hand. Right? <laughs> we have a couple. Yeah, some people are like, oh, I'm so, no one will ever catch me. Or like, you know, it may have been something you said when you were younger, maybe about like a teacher at school or something. Or you're really good at like taking a long lunch at work, right? Like, oh, no one ever will find out. I have it set up. Or the work from home stuff, right? Work, quotes, from home. There was the, the one that I saw recently on TikTok where this person put like, uh, uh, like cream cheese on their mouse and then their dog would lick their mouse so that it would show activity on their, on their computer, right? It's genius, right? It was Shaitan's TikTok account. Yeah, so, so that when they speak, they lie. Lying is not inconsequential, even if the lie is inconsequential. I'm gonna repeat that. Lying is not inconsequential, even if the lie itself is not inconsequential. Right? Like in that in that moment, are you hurting somebody? Who just said yourself? <laughs> Why are you getting all the way to the end? I'm trying to, I'm trying to take us down the path, right? Okay? Yeah, you're not really hurting it. Let me get the answer. You're not really hurting anybody, okay? You're not. But the problem is that when you lie and you get away with lying, what do you do? You keep lying. And when you keep lying, then your lies begin to hurt other people. So in reality, you are putting yourself in a position where you're so comfortable not telling the truth that eventually it gets to the point where when you start to do something in small amounts, that's how the khutuwat al shaitan work, right? Like, he's not gonna make you lie uh, 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 initially, like, on your taxes first. He's not gonna make you lie to your spouse first or your parents first. That's a big, that's a tall order. Shaitan's gonna just, like, tell you to, like, you know, take something from, and during self-checkout, like, not check it out, right? Just throw it in the bag. That's, and shaitan's like, who cares? It's Kroger, multi-billion dollar company. 
right? I'm sure they've stolen, right? And then you like ask the employee, you like working here? They're like, no, you're like, I got you, right? And you steal something. Like that's, and again, there's all these ways that people rationalize their lies. But in reality, you don't realize. Allah Ta'ala says, you don't realize what you're doing to yourself. Because then what happens? When a person tells lies enough, they lose the ability to understand what's truth and falsehood. They lose the ability. It's not as if like, oh, they can contain that anymore. Then they start to believe their own lies. And then they live in like a false world. So you, you, you know, and this is where, I know a lot of people are sort of like triggered by this word. They're triggered by the word triggered and by the word gaslighting. But this is where the idea of gaslighting happens, right? When people get so comfortable lying that when they're speaking to somebody, they can tell somebody like, no, you didn't. And you're like, what? Like, it's on camera. Like, I have receipts. Like, I have the text message. No, that's crazy. That's not what I meant. Even though it's very clearly what the intent was, right? There's no doubt about it. But the lying has just become so odious and so ubiquitous. It's like a part of the person's, uh, 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 you know, it's a part of their blood, okay? And then the Prophet said, that when the person makes a promise, they break it, which is another form of lying. So a person makes an oath, they, they take an oath with somebody, and they break it. Okay? And when they are trusted, they betray the trust. That somebody trusts you and you betray the trust. Okay? Another uh, uh, narration the Prophet said, and when they debate or when they argue, they get really nasty with people. They start to use horrible words. They start to take jabs at each other. They start to use these, uh, uh, you know, they start to get like, super sarcastic and condescending. That's a sign of a hypocrite. Even if a person's right, it's a sign of a hypocrite, right? So that's number one. So Allah Ta'ala says that you will live a life of delusion without realizing it. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. The only way to really deal with this, honestly, is to taste the bitterness of your actions. A person has to be willing to accept that they're wrong. They have to. The hypocrite never entertains the, the chance that they're wrong. They never even entertain it. The sincere person actually might even incline that they're wrong, even when they're not wrong. The sincere person's like, yeah, you know what, I see your point. Like, okay, maybe I am wrong. Or maybe I didn't do this correctly. Imagine how many relationships would be saved if we were more able to incline towards the possibility that I was wrong versus defending myself even when I know I'm wrong. How many relationships, how many friendships or parents or spouses would we not have fractured between if... In the beginning of the argument, not the end, not after three days of silence, right? Not after passive aggressive, like behaviors and comments. How are you hungry? Yeah, well, get your food, get food for yourself. Like, it's not what you ask them if they're hungry, right? Status check. No, imagine if in the beginning, a person says like, okay, I, I don't see it that way, but now that you're saying it, I can start, I can see where you're coming from, right? And maybe, the way that I said that was actually really wrong. You know what's crazy? I was talking to, I don't know how many of you guys came to Dr. Tour's sessions, but I was talking to him and I was saying like, you know, how do you manage with kids, even with children? How do you manage this idea of not just always telling them like, you're wrong, you have to listen to me, you're wrong. Like, how do you, how do you boost up their self-esteem a little bit? You know, celebrate the wins. And he said, honestly, when they do something right, you know, they're right. But when they do something wrong, they're wrong. He said the way that they learn that is by when you acknowledge that you're wrong. Your kids will learn to apologize if you do what? If you apologize. If you want your friend circle to have a culture of apologizing, then you have to start. If you want your marriage to have a culture where apologizing, then you have to model that, right? Humans are social creatures. We copy each other, 
right? There have been many of us that grew up in homes and we never saw anyone apologize, right? It was just like, move on, right? When dad was wrong, we just moved on. When mom was wrong, it was like silently moving on. There was no moment where a person was like, I'm sorry, right? And how are we supposed to learn if we've never seen it happen before, right? So all of this, I know that this is kind of a rant, but all of this is referring to what can happen to the heart of a person while they're completely unaware, right? So be willing to taste the bitterness. Be willing to taste it, right? And for those of you that are in relationships and you think that you see this stuff, don't force the bitterness down someone's throat. Okay, we have to be people that are constructive, not destructive. We can't tell someone like, hey, this is your problem. Like there's ways to do that. Being creative in your feedback. You know, everyone says, oh, nasiha, nasiha, nasiha. Like give nasiha, it's part of our deen. Adina nasiha, like we have to give advice. That's true. But you know, nasiha, it's interesting. One of my teachers is from Morocco. He said that nasiha has to be like a needle, like a needle. Okay, you guys ever sewn before? Anybody? I'm gonna look over here. <laughs> you guys ever sewn before? They're like, no, I think uh, there's like a, a, a grub hub for that or something like sew hub, if I need something patched up, like that just left it on my mom's, you know, bed or whatever. No, if you ever sewn before, it's very interesting. My teacher said, when you sew something, when you sew something, you're piercing the fabric, but only for a very brief amount of time. And then what you're trying to do, if you're good, if you're really good at, you know, seamster or seamstress or whatever, if you're really good at trying to sew, the goal is to try to make sure that the damage that you do to the fabric, like putting a patch on something or like sewing some work is indistinguishable from the fabric originally. So if in giving advice, you're causing so much damage that there's like an emotional crater that's left there, you actually didn't do a good job. Many of us, like, we, we give advice in a way that damages the person to such a degree that the advice is like this tiny little nugget of advice inside this massive crater of self-worth that's gone now. What was reached there? Like, what's the net gain? Negative a thousand? Like, can't even measure it. To the point where some scholars said, Ibn al-Qayyim and others, that if you giving advice pushes someone further away from their ultimate goal that you have for them, don't give it. Like, if you truly want someone to be a certain way, let's say that you, you know, and think of yourself, right? How many of you guys struggled to pray while you were younger? Okay. Were there people in your life that the way they told you to pray just pushed you away from prayer? Okay. Why? Who can share? What were some, you can give hypotheticals. You can say my friend and then we'll all know who it really is. But I can share too, but I want to hear from you. Or let's say another action besides prayer. Were there ways in which the advice that you were given or the advice you gave actually pushed people away? Yeah, Mary? They were very degrading about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Made you feel like you're insignificant when doing that action. Yeah. And in that moment when when they were being degrading or whatever, like what did you feel? What did you think about? So subhanAllah. SubhanAllah. You know, Allah never degrades us. Isn't that crazy? He has every right to, right? Like he has the authority, he has the power, he created us, all that. Like if we're going to be honest, right? He, Allah could just have started the Quran by being like, you're worthless. <laughs> and we'd be like, God, take this L, you know, like we just got to take it. It's true. Like, you know what he said? Allah Ta'ala said, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ 
He said, we gave you honor. Like we made you noble. When the angels questioned why we're creating you, because you're going to just cause like war and bloodshed. Allah said, That verse just shakes me every time. The angels who are practically perfect, okay, meaning that they never make a mistake. They asked Allah, why would you create this creature, this creation? I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit. They said, why would you do that? We worship you. Like we praise you all the time. And we sanctify you every moment. We never miss a beat. Why are you going to create a creation? Some of them are going to disbelieve about you. Some of them are going to make fun of you. Some of them are going to mock you. Some of them are going to just completely ignore you. The ones who do acknowledge you are going to just sin all the time and make mistakes. And some of them are going to come back. Some won't. Like, why are you going to do this? And Allah answers with one line. I know that which you don't know. The tafsir of that is so profound because some of the scholars talk. Like, what does that mean? When do you say that? You say that when you know that the value of something is unrecognizable to the questioner. Like the angels couldn't see why you and I are so valuable. Allah knew. So the degradation of somebody is actually going against how Allah teaches. The Prophet never degraded anybody. He never made people feel small. So what is it about making people feel small when you're advising them? What is it that makes it so satisfying? Well, perhaps for a moment when you're being harsh to somebody, it allows you to take the focus off of your own flaws, right? When you're being harsh with somebody, you don't have to think about the fact that you also have problems and you're able just to focus totally on this person. There's no empathy. And the saddest part of all of this is that I guarantee you that as you were being degraded, you couldn't even hear the words that they were saying. That's the issue. So the person's trying to tell you about doing something better, but you're so damaged and bruised. It's like a fighter getting knocked down and you can't even see straight, and they're like, why aren't you listening? And you're like, I can't. Like, I've emotionally been assaulted, right? Anyone else? Thanks for sharing, by the way. Yeah. It would, like, make it seem like a chore, like, mm. to get it done, or, like, you'll have bad consequences as compared to Yeah, the focus was completely that if you don't do it, there's punishment. And so thus it became a chore. Instead of... And even the language we use, instead of saying, I have to pray, you guys ever said that before? Or let me pray real quick. I gotta pray. How many of us say like, I get to pray, right? There's so many millions of people on the earth that don't pray, okay? And again, that's the, we're not talking about them. We're just saying that this, we're like, a, we're like an a, exclusive group of people that have been given this message by Allah through his prophet. We get to pray. It's not, I have to pray, or let me pray real quick. It's, we get to, and all of us do it. May Allah forgive us all. But a lot of that, like you said, mashallah, is like the conditioning effect, right? Because it wasn't seen as a blessing. It was seen as a burden. The Prophet Sallallahu used to be sitting in the marketplace, you know, just kind of like daily life. And then when it was time for dhuhr, uh, and you see this now, by the way, it's really funny. When it was time for dhuhr or asr, he would tell Bilal, arihna biha ya Bilal, call the adhan. But he wasn't saying Ezzin, he was saying give us rest. Because now we can shut down the shops. You guys ever been to the Middle East? Or like Southeast Asia, like Muslim countries? You know, you get there. I, I'll never forget, man. Dhuhr Adhan's at like 1220. There's a smash burger in Mecca. And I was there at like 11 a.m. And I'm like, breakfast, smash burger, like, who, like this is Jannah. Truly, this is the best place on earth. And I go there and they're open. They're open. Like they are open. Okay? But... I go there, it's like 11.15, we got like an hour left. And you know that technically they're supposed to close about five minutes before the event. 
got like an hour. So I'm like, so I'm like, I'm like, so I'm like, can I place an order? He's like, la la, I'm like, those are an hour, man. You're taking a lot of advantage of this lure thing. And I'm like, unless you're about to go drop like Hanafi sunnahs, like you're about to go drop, <laughs> you know, all the sunnahs. I was like, you better make my burger. But they, they, were, they were not having it, okay? So what will it take for us to get to the point where salah becomes like an experience that we enjoy? Okay, and Imam Ghazali says this. One of the secrets of prayer, many of us say we can't focus in prayer. It's difficult for us to focus. We can't pay attention. Our mind wanders. Imam Ghazali says, you know what the first problem is before any of it? People jump to Arabic language, they jump to tafsir, they jump to all of that. But you know what, before any of that, it's, do you enjoy it? If you enjoy something, even if you don't know the language, sure, knowing the language will help you enjoy it, I agree. But if you just enjoy what the experience that you're having, I get to talk to Allah, I get to spend five minutes with Allah. Like I just got off this annoying conference call and I have to jump on another one. And I don't like my coworkers that much, but I'll deal with it. And my bonus is coming in three months and I'll just stick around till then. Oh, I get five minutes to disconnect and go speak with Allah for five minutes? Like, yeah, please, right? Like, absolutely. As opposed to the other side of it, which is like, oh, I gotta get this done. And Imam Ghazali says, this is a little pro tip in his book, Kitab al-Salah. He says that one of the ways that you can appreciate prayer right away, you guys ready for this? We're gonna read this book together, by the way. One of the ways you can appreciate prayer right away, pray in the beginning, not the end. That will actually change how you use prayer to totally. If you pray at the end of prayer every time, like buzzer beater, you will feel stressed with salah because you are putting a, a timer on yourself. You, there's no biological like choice. If you know that at 6 p.m. Asr ends, or 6.20 now, I think, right? If you know and you constantly wait to pray Asr until 6.18, you are actually conditioning, your, conditioning yourself to have like a very anxious but physiological response to prayer. It's not fair. And then you say, I don't like it, it's not good, I can't concentrate. Well, you gave yourself 120 seconds. How are you gonna enjoy that, right? I mean, like that's not how you enjoy anything. But if the event comes in and you stop yourself and you say, you know, I'm gonna pray, you will find instantly, instantly, you will find your prayer is better. I have friends now that for Isha prayer, as soon as it comes in, they're like someone's grandmother. You know how grandmothers like to pray Isha right away? They know something, mashallah. They had a lot of wisdom. Grandmothers and grandfathers are like, Isha's in, let's pray. You know why? Because the earlier you pray it, the better your focus is, the more you're enjoying it. And then before you go to bed, it's not like, oh, I gotta pray Isha. You know what it's like? Oh, I already prayed Isha. It's like the greatest feeling. You love Isha. You're like, can't wait to pray early tomorrow night. You know? Because it's just like, you've relieved yourself from that, Right? And, and, and you've, you've allowed yourself to experience the blessing of prayer at a time when you're not just getting it done so you can jump in bed. How many rakahs was that? I don't know. Five. Let me just, you know. So, yes. So, very important for us to not be people that A, we don't think that we're deceiving Allah, and B, we never ever take on the role of policing people's spirituality. Okay, make sure we're constructive, not decent. Just ask yourself, before you speak to somebody, am I being constructive or destructive? Is this person gonna walk away better or are they gonna be damaged? The only time that I can engage with somebody with a real talk mindset, more direct, is what? There's a lot of conditions, the scholars say. But one of them, there's many. One of them is you have to know the person. You have to know. You guys ever heard commanding good and forbidding evil? Al-Amr bin Ma'aruf wa Munkar? 
You have to know the person. You can't just walk up to somebody and be like, hey, Munafik, Salaam right? I'm not expecting you to respond to you, Munafik. Like, no, you have to know the person, number one. Number two, it has to be in private. Number three, you have to give the person excuses. There's none of this sort of like, oh yeah, I already know who you are. No, that's not how this works. And even when you know the person, there has to be this creativity. There has to be this gentleness that allows the person to be able to hear what you're saying. So may Allah Ta'ala help us, inshallah. Okay. Allah Ta'ala says, So we talked about this last time, the disease in the heart that increases because when a person's heart is sick, then if they don't check themselves, they want more of what causes the disease if they don't check themselves. Okay, so there's like a spiritual biological war that's happening, okay, internally, which is what? Like if I struggle with alcoholism, may Allah Ta'ala give shifat to those who struggle, then, or like with drugs, that addiction, I know cognitively is wrong for me, but my body is fiending for it, okay? And so it's difficult. And that's, what, that's a similar example with spiritual diseases. When I backbite, I know it's wrong, but spill the tea. You know, like, it, it's good to focus on other people instead of myself. So being in, understanding that the disease that I have is increasing, and Allah Ta'ala gives you what you want. He'll give you what you want, Okay. Next one. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ لَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ قَالُوا إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ مُسْلِحُونَ أَلَا إِنَّهُمْ هُمُ الْمُفْسِدُونَ وَلَاكِنْ لَا يَشْعُرُونَ Okay. When it is said to them, so the second sign of hypocrites, when it is said to them, لَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ Do not spread corruption in the earth. But facade, corruption, has a very interesting Arabic linguistic meaning. It doesn't just mean for something to be corrupted. It means to take something from a good place and make it worse, to spoil something, okay? So when Allah is saying that when these people are told, hey, what are you doing? You're taking this good thing and you're making it worse. They respond, not ironically, not sarcastically, they respond genuinely. They say, قَالُوا إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ مُسْلِحُونَ What do you mean? We're not, we're not corrupting things, we're making the earth better. We're making the earth better. Does this sound familiar? Uh huh. Without political, we don't want to get into political. <laughs> we need to maintain our 501c3 status here at Roots, okay? Otherwise, we've got to shut off the lights even more, okay? But does this sound familiar? Are there moments in time when people, you and I included, are told, hey, what you're doing is ruining something? And you say, no, it's making it better. Anybody? When you're cooking? <laughs> All right, who doesn't like well done ribeye? Okay. Anyone? Yeah? Uh -huh. Maybe like if you're speeding on the road trying to get somewhere quick, you know it's not the safest thing, but you want to get somewhere fast, so you're like, this is what's best for me. Very good. Wow, that's a deep reflection, mashallah. Right? We see speed, okay? And this is going to get really philosophical, so I need everyone to put on your floaties, because we're about to go deep, okay? <laughs> we see speed as being beneficial, getting somewhere quicker, right? Why? Efficiency. Let's go fast, come on. But we don't realize that in going fast, what are we doing? So yeah, the most obvious one is we're endangering ourselves and others. But let's say that there's no one on the road. Huh? Breaking the law, okay, so we're violating social code we've agreed upon, all right? You guys see that catch? That was like a Matrix moment. All right, yeah. What else? Trying to control time. Okay, maybe you're trying to control time. 
Okay, what else? I got a little deep. Anyone else? Yeah. Condition yourself to what? Yeah, good. So you're conditioning yourself. Keep going with that. How? How does it condition you? Okay, so maybe you enjoy it, or maybe like if you if you left late and got there on time because you sped, then maybe you're like, oh, I can leave late now. Like I can get somewhere. I don't have you know what I mean. I don't ever have to leave on time. That's that's another one. You also like just from a just from an efficiency standpoint. You're losing your, your, your gas efficiency in your car. Funny story, actually. We were driving a Tesla. This is why I don't believe in electric cars. Uh, we were driving a Tesla one time. Uh, my friend was borrowing his friend's Tesla to drive somewhere because his car was in the shop. So we were driving, and the speed limit was like 70. And I think we were going 77 or something. And uh, just keeping along with traffic. And the, the, the mileage uh, amount initially started, said like we had 180. And as soon as he went 77, it made him like accept this like user agreement. It was like, okay, if you go faster than the speed limit, this thing's gonna dip. He's like, fine. And then we had the heater on. It went from like 180 to like 122, the mileage range. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, we can't stop for gas. And he's like, yes, that's the point. It's an electric car, right? And it was a crazy story, subhanAllah, that ended up with basically, I was four hours away from the airport and the poor volunteers had to drive me to the airport while my friend stood there at like a, a like a Shoney's, like, I don't know, or like a Golden Corral charging his car for three hours. But anyways, the point being is that you're actually destroying the effectiveness of the thing that you're using. Like you fill up gas and you're like, this should last me for a week. And then you drive fast and you're like, why isn't it lasting me? And this is another sign that you know you're getting old. You know, the 30 and up halakas on, on Tuesday night. One of the things that we find in 30 and up is like, we appreciate good gas mileage. We get excited when vegetables go on sale. Like these are the things that you guys probably, you're not there yet. Yes, Lana. Very good. Very. This is a hadith. The Prophet Speeding is from haste. Is from shaitan. It is something he prefers. He enjoys. Because why? There's so many detriments. Sada just said when you're speeding, you're not able to understand the journey that you're on. I had a teacher one time in Chicago, he said something amazing. He was like, man, because in Chicago, there's a road that has very embarrassing billboards, like nightclubs and like adult this and that. It's like incredibly horrible driving by yourself and then with your parents. And it's like coming from the airport. So I would pick up Mashaikh and I'm like, so, and I like put like the visor down. And I'm like, look at me, look at me right, right here. Very, very bad. SubhanAllah. I don't know what's, this is horrible, man. This is sickness. Okay, so I had a teacher one time, though, you know, we were just joking around about all these billboards for like this ad and this and this. And he said something amazing. He said, you know, you see one billboard every half a mile or like every quarter mile or something. And he said, you see one of those. So on the entire journey from home to work or work to home, you see, I don't know, maybe like 10 billboards. Okay, or like 20. He said, you know, in between those 10 billboards, you see billions of advertising for Allah's existence. Every blade of grass, every leaf on a tree, every animal, every cloud in the sky. He said, all of this is advertising to you, saying Allah exists, but you're caught up looking at mint dentistry, you know? Or that insurance company that took our logo, Root Insurance, right? 
that's what your eye focuses on, right? And a lot of it is what? What do they say? They say what? They say that a person should, when they're walking, when they're walking somewhere strolling, like take it all in. Stop and smell the flowers. You can't do that if you're going too fast. So all of this, subhanAllah, and I want to, this is a good example to I like this because we see speed as being something that is beneficial, bar none. Like faster internet, faster service, faster this, faster that. It's just better, okay? If something is quicker, we automatically take that as a positive. Yes or no? Okay? But we have to realize something. And this is, again, this is where the philosophy comes in. So I need everyone to listen carefully. When it comes to progress, especially in things like science and things like, you know, uh, technology, you are finite, you are limited, you only have what you have. When you gain something, you also lose something. When you put something on your plate, the item that could have been there before is no longer there. In the event of accessing like high speed internet, okay, you lost your patience. In the event of getting Amazon Prime, you lost your patience. So these things, although we see them as being islah, oh man, it's great. We get faster, the world is faster, everything's faster, move faster. What are we losing? Right? We don't take time to think about this until it's too late. The only time we start to analyze what society is struggling with is 70 years after the advancement's done. Because we need longitudinal data. We need 70 years to figure out what we lost. So it's only now that we're recognizing that social media is taking away our attention span. But we've been on social media for two decades. And it's only now that we're realizing that like, I don't know, does anyone have the, the mark in their pinky from how they hold their phone? You guys ever seen that before? You guys seen this before? Where do you hold your phone? Which hand? Either one, I'm not, there's, no, there's not like an Islamic answer, right? The right hand, exactly. No, no, I mean like, which hand? Hold that pinky up against the other one like this and look at the dent that's in the one that you hold your phone with. If you have it, like me, may Allah forgive you. If you don't have it, then please make dua for us, you're holy. But listen to this, okay? Has there, you don't have it? I definitely have it. I'm gonna take a picture and post it on Instagram tonight. The irony, okay? But listen, real quick, has there ever been, this is like a phenomenon, people have noticed this, that like people are like, oh my gosh, has there ever been a more beautiful and poetic sign of the impact of something silently on us without us realizing it? Until it's too late, right? If that's the mark it's making on your body, then what is it doing to your heart and your mind? So there are companies that are telling you that this is gonna make your life better, okay? I remember when I used to work at Apple a long time ago, the management would show up and we'd have this like team meeting with like strobe lights and like they would like cater food. And they're like, don't you love it here? And I'm like, no, I just, I need a paycheck. <laughs> and they would try to convince us, like you are changing people's lives. And like half my coworkers were like, I know. And they're like crying. <laughs> and I'm like, we're being paid for this, right? Like to be here? Like we're being <laughs> Can I take a couple sandwiches home? The idea that all this stuff is unequivocally good and positive and that everything old is bad and negative and traditional stuff is slow and it's annoying. 
And then subhanAllah, you make a full circle and what happens? You can buy furniture at Ikea, you can buy furniture at Target, you can buy it because these, these places, they manufacture it quickly. You place an order with a carpenter to get a table made and it would take like weeks. You can go to the World Market or Target or Ikea and buy that table today. But then we make full circle when we realize that, you know what, some things are better made slow. Because that Ikea table is going to break in 10 months, but the one that we had a carpenter make, we commissioned this person to make this table for us, lasts for like two decades. And so we've actually come to the point now as a society where we ignored old time things because of their slowness and their annoyance. And now we're like so in the lap of luxury and progress and technology that we're like, man, have you seen this hand-churned butter? <laughs> Have you seen this new milk, like grass-fed milk? And everyone's like, this is so nice. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of how it was, right? I'm not here to tell everybody. I'm sitting up here with all the Apple's products in front of me, okay, including my AirPods. I'm not here to tell everybody, like, you know what? Let's just, let's just turn off the lights, light candles. Let's, can anyone run on the treadmill to generate electricity? That's not where I'm at. But what I'm saying is we have to understand Allah is asking us here. Are we people that are engaged in corruption to the point where we genuinely think that the things that we're doing are unequivocally good? Or do we realize and recognize that everything has a plus minus? Everything has a pro-con. We have to realize that. There's a website in which you can input like your lifestyle, clothes that you have, house that you own, et cetera, where you live, and it will show you your human trafficking footprint. It will show you how many slaves in the world, slavery was not abolished, okay, internationally, right? It was just renovated. It will show you how many slaves it took to make your closet. And you have to sit there and look at that number. And you have to wonder if you want to go to the store tomorrow. Or can I just live with what I have, right? The junkyards that we live near that we don't see. You know, it's interesting. I wonder why don't, they, why don't they put junkyards like in the middle of the suburb to let everyone see the stuff they're throwing away. You'll go in there and find stuff that's good as new. One piece can be replaced, great. There's people that go in there and they, they if you put out an appliance on garbage night, someone's gonna come pick it up and they're gonna make cash with your trash. Why? Because we are just, we're a people that have been conditioned to just buy something new when we need it and, and, and not actually work on like traditionally was done. This is all, unfortunately, a benefit of progress. So Allah is asking us to think about our life. Are you a person that cannot see the corruption that you are a part of? And then what's our role? If you are a part of that, if you do have that, your role as a Muslim is to limit your footprint to the lowest degree. Right? We don't buy things because they're trendy. We buy things because we understand when they fall into certain categories that we are trying to limit our footprint of oppression, of pain, of damage as much as possible. Okay? A lot of people ask me about like, you know, different uh, groceries or like vegetables or meat or things like that. That's a great conversation. I think we need to also speak about like our amount of consumption right? How many of us have meat here like six times a week? 
How many of us, like, if you have, it was really funny. If you don't have meat at dinner, it's not dinner. Anybody? Chicken, beef, and then for my people, Amar Manush, fish, Mangalis. Yeah, okay, we got a few. All right, mashallah. Yeah. So, you know what's crazy? The Prophet ﷺ, they said, he loved me. He loved meat. One of his favorite cuts of meat was the shoulder of a lamb. Okay, so he enjoyed it. But you know how often he had meat? The, the narrations, they differ, of course, based on time. Because, you know, depending on the time that he was during the boycott, the sanction, of course, different. The most frequently he had meat, well, let me start with the other one. The most infrequently was once every three months. Once every three months. Okay? The most frequently, according to the authentic narrations, is once a week. If somebody had that much now, right, they'd be like, wait, what's wrong with you? Like, how, how are you, you know? But that was, and again, the Prophet ﷺ said this. And, and, and Omar, he taught us this as well. He said, beware of, of red meat because it has the intoxicating properties of wine. You guys ever had like, like a burger and you just kind of felt like, man, you know, like, I'm done. You got like burger hangover before? You're just like, I need a few hours to process this. Or you went to like a buffet and you had enough kebab for like, right? Some things are not necessarily impermissible because in Sharia they're not. That's the, that's the nature of law. But we have to think about our impact, right? And I'll finish here. One of my teachers said something really powerful one time. He said, you know, when it comes to consumption, especially food, he said that, you know, the amount of times that people throw away groceries, they go shopping for groceries, then they just eat out at restaurants all week and then throw away what they bought. He said, I wonder if people would do that less if they actually had to like grow those vegetables and like slaughter those animals. And if they did, then they would probably appreciate what they had more. Everyone here, no one wants to think of themselves as a corrupted person. It's not nice. It's not a comfortable feeling. But the Quran, it doesn't just remind us of the good things that we have. It also tells us to challenge ourselves. We have to be willing to acknowledge that maybe we're doing some things that are corrupting. And some things that are not ideal ethically. Some things that we have to change. Okay? Allah says, They are people who corrupt. Now, when you get to the certain level of society, like this can be happening when people are bombing places, like countries are bombing each other. Stop war. Why are you bombing? And they're like, no, 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 we're spreading peace. It's so interesting. Spreading peace by dropping bombs. How? Ajib. Sheikh Hamza told the story about napalm. You guys have heard about napalm? You know what napalm is? Yep. It's like a chemical that lights a person's skin on fire, basically. Okay, and they used to drop these napalm bombs, in especially in Vietnam. Listen to this. I want you guys to hear this, okay? They used to drop napalm on these villages in Vietnam. And the villagers discovered, after a lot of, obviously, desperation that there was a certain way that they could remove the burning pain from their skin and it was jumping into these pools of water, okay? So if they got hit by this napalm, they could jump in, they had these pools, these holes, they would jump in and it would remove the pain, it would help the pain. So when the scientists in America heard that this is a solution for the pain that napalm caused, they developed water-resistant napalm. And the question that was posed in the podcast that I heard this from was, what kind of person would do that? 
Like what kind of person would develop a resistance to the only thing that would take pain away, right? But this is all in the name of peace, right? The very land that we're sitting on belonged undoubtedly to Native Americans that when they were met with by the people who came here, they were met with hands of peace, but then they were massacred, right? The road, the infrastructure of this country built by slaves that were stolen from their lands that had their identities forcibly changed, majority of which were Muslims, to build this country, the economy of this country would be insignificant. There's a book that actually talks about what slavery did to the economy of America and how why America seems so progressed in such a short amount of time. It's a very young country, by the way, right? America is extremely young. How did it progress so quickly versus other modern nation states? Well, it used illegal means. You captured people and took them away from their families and homes and destroyed their lineages and any sense of identity historically for them to pick your cotton? What kind of people could think about that? So the Quran is forcing us to address corruption. It's forcing us internally and externally. And the reason why these political or social corruptions exist is because of what? Because the heart is corrupted first. The person that was sitting there coming up with the chemical formula for water-resistant napalm, it, Allah knows best. It doesn't seem like they had a very good heart. The person that was capturing slaves in Africa and promising them this or just putting them in shackles and stacking them like dead bodies on those ships, Allah knows best. It doesn't seem like they had a good heart. People that were scalping Native Americans here, Allah knows best. It doesn't seem like they had a very good heart. So the Quran in the very beginning is asking us, don't assume that your heart is so saved from corruption that you would not, and inshallah, none of us are engaging at that level, but don't assume that you would just be casually okay with corruption. Check your heart and make sure that the things that you see at the very least make you cry, make you pray, make you give, make you go out there and support, at the very least, as the Prophet Sallallahu said, if you can't change it with your hand, he said, then change it with your tongue. If you can't change it with your tongue, then the Prophet Sallallahu said, then feel it in your heart. And he said, and that's the lowest level of faith, but it's still faith. Okay, so we ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people of uprightness and not corruption. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us islah and not fasad. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that can recognize truth and to follow it. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that recognize falsehood and gives us the strength to stay away from it, even if it's financially beneficial, even if it's easier, even if it's enjoyable. Oh Allah, we ask you to give us strength to stay away from the things that we know are destructive, that we know are damaging, and we ask you to show us and always make us aware of the destruction around us so that we can avoid it, that we can address it, and that we can change it. Amin, amin, ya Rabbi Anam. Anyone have any questions? We have like two, three minutes for questions before we wrap up. Yeah. It's also like a comment. So one of my teachers mentioned that like, chickens especially like they're very cooped up and a lot of times when these animals are slaughtered they have a lot of like stress hormones in them and if you look at us as society compared to like our grandparents and our great-grandparents mm. we're all filled with so much like stress and anxiety and it comes from the food we eat and a lot of the food also like affects our spirituality so i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about like yeah that's i mean that sounds like you know the the, the chemical makeup of the animals that we eat based on their treatment affecting us 
That sounds like a thesis paper in of itself. I mean, I, I would not be surprised. I'm not trained in this, so I'm not, I'm only kind of like, about, like how spirituality, yeah. Our food affects yeah, so I think the biggest thing about food and spirituality that I'll say, because I know this, this talk tonight, everyone's like, whoa, this, this like turned way left. Um, <laughs> but, but the biggest thing I'll say is this, you know, Imam al-Ghazali used to discuss meat. You guys ever heard the, the meat wars? Halal versus haram, zabiha versus halal, hand cut versus machine cut, hand cut organic, tayyib versus machine cut, right? Do machines have feelings? Bismillah versus radio bismillah. It goes nuts, guys. It goes wild, okay? And I'm not dismissing it. There's legitimate discussion, debate, okay? But one thing that Imam Ghazali used to say, which I thought was really cool, was that he used to discuss haram and halal meat, but he would never do it in like the realm that we talk about it in. He would say, is your food haram because the money you earned was not honest money? That was his concern. Make sure you're earning honest money. Make sure you're not lying to earn your money because then the food you're feeding yourself is not pure. That was what his ultimate concern was. So when we talk about the ethics of like food intake or anything, clothing, right? The home that you're paying rent or mortgage with, it's incredibly important it's imperative that we never let our income become income that is uh tainted right by anything that we know is impermissible and including lying that's a big one right because again it's, it's so easy now this is i'm not i don't want i don't want to be like 25 people up here after like okay i work for this company here's my contract <laughs> you know like can you there are some things that culturally are normative, even in the workplace, okay? Like your boss might have shown you or your boss might have, you know, your supervisor or whatever, might have modeled for you that, you know what, this is a project-based position and if you're able to get your stuff done, then you do have time to like, you can take a lunch that's like 15, 20 minutes longer. You can, you know, if, if you're done, if you woke up early or whatever, you can go work out later in the day, it's fine. Some of these companies now are even moving towards that as being the standardized model. So. This isn't meant to, I don't want you guys to be like, you know that student in the class that when the teacher wraps up and they're like, are you gonna collect the homework? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not saying to be that person, right? Because again, like, you know, Allah gives gifts in, 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 in interesting ways. Like you might just be working for a company that's really relaxed. And they're like, look, we're just productivity focused. If you get your stuff done, like I don't really care if you're on from nine to five, right? If you get your work done, then that's fine by me. But it's your job to understand those parameters and to act according to them, right? And then you can be comfortable and safe. And as the Prophet ﷺ taught us, that when you have doubt in your heart, then it's best to address the doubt. Don't ignore the doubt. If you have any sort of doubt in your heart, then don't, don't ignore it. Address it, right? Make sure that you're able to iron that out. It's not worth the inevitable, uh, you know, the inevitable result of it, okay? Anyone else? Any questions? Yeah. Somebody one time was trying about to, meat? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Somebody one time was trying to, I guess, encourage like veganism and talk about like how the like the prophet was not a strict vegan or vegetarian, but because the prophet did not eat meat that frequently, like we yeah. should adopt some of that those traits. So is that like what it's, you're saying or it's permissible to be vegetarian or vegan as long as you don't think that that's something that's spiritually bettering uh or spiritually is like something that is ordained in the religion it's permissible a person can choose whatever dietary 
restrictions they like, if they can say that they feel better about it, that it, they feel morally compelled to do it, absolutely. But the minute that we start to say that I dress or eat or that with only a certain category of things because it's Islamically better, that's when it starts to get a little dicey. So what I would say is like, you're absolutely allowed to, you know, you're absolutely allowed to adopt whatever halal diet that a person wants. And the moral implications and the social implications of that are also rewarded by Allah. Allah rewards every good intention, no matter how, no matter where in the spectrum it is, okay? But we cannot impose upon a tradition, a religious tradition, a ruling that is not based in anything that's not found in the evidences of the Quran and the Hadith of the Prophet So the imposition is a problem. The following, the adherence is not a problem. It's the imposition. Um, and yeah, you could say that. I mean, I, 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 I think there's also something you said here about extremes. We're not a people of extremes, right? We don't like, like, honestly, like I'm uncomfortable with Brazilian steakhouses. Like, I'm just very uncomfortable with them. No, seriously. Because the consumption of meat there is like weird. Really, no, if you go into a Brazilian steakhouse and you see the faces of people as they're eating meat as it's being cut under their plate, it looks like a drug. It really does. Okay, now this, I'm not saying it's haram. Again, because I can't make, I cannot make haram what Allah made halal. I'm just saying, next time you go, look at it. Okay? Now, if you can control yourself, that's fine. You can go and pay $60 and have a moderate amount of meat. I hear the salad bars are very nice. Okay? But we're also not the opposite extreme, which is, oh my God, Zabiha, Brazilian Steakhouse, Na'udhu Billah, come out to my front lawn and let's only eat what we find there. You know? Or like, we're going to do this, this, this. Like, we're not extreme people. Okay? We find, and, and all the dietitians that I've ever spoken to, because I, this is something that personally is a, is, a, is a hobby of mine to learn about nutrition, not necessarily like the chemical side of it, but nutrition in general. I really enjoy learning more about how the body processes nutrients and things like that. Every single one of them that's data-based says that a healthy, balanced diet is necessary of everything, okay? Even like the egg yolk, the egg white, it's crazy how Allah Ta'ala created things in balance. And so really we just have to focus on moderation. We have to focus on being moderate. Our definition of moderation can be skewed by the people that we spend time around. If we spend time around people that are extreme on one side, then our moderation also tends to be extreme. So we have to make sure that we are looking at it from a Islamic lens in context with like our lens and try our best to end up somewhere in the middle, wherever that might be. So, you know, I think that, I think adopting, I absolutely think people could benefit from adopting a more holistic diet. Challenge yourself. If you're someone who eats meat five, six times a week, whatever, whoever is their hand, try. Go, you know, try to have vegetables for dinner tonight, you know? Or if you're like me, just have cereal, call it a day, you know? And, 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 and take that dub, like take that win and say, you know, I didn't have meat tonight and see. I remember one time I was in Mecca, Medina, and I only, last time I said Ramadan, I only ate vegetables. I didn't eat meat the entire time. And I will say, I felt lighter. I felt less tired. I will say all that is true. But one thing that's interesting is that by me not choosing to have meat, everyone that I was there with was very offended. <laughs> they felt like a personal attack. They're like, why aren't you eating it? I'm like, I don't want to. And they're like, no, you have to, you should. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to. So we have to be a people of balance. We should definitely encourage each other to like, you know, not just 
partake in this like luxurious lifestyle, the carte blanche with no limit, no checks, nothing. But at the same, and I sit here, by the way, with fried chicken next to me, by the way. So just FYI, I'm just fully disclosing because I know y'all are going to be like, what a hypocrite, right? It's all full circle now. It's all full circle. But this is for my wife's lunch tomorrow. You can ask the one who got it for me. I said, I'm going to give my wife for lunch tomorrow. Okay. But point being is let's just be more moderate people, inshallah, in every way, shape, or form. Okay. Allah Ta'ala describes us as Quran as well. Right. Okay. We ask Allah Ta'ala to accept. Barakallah, everybody. Love you all for the sake of Allah. Inshallah, see you guys. Uh, next Monday, we'll